there should really be a rule, shouldn't there, for when the official, it should be an official cut-off point in January for saying Happy New Year. It's, uh, it would save a lot of awkwardness. But uh, if I haven't yet spoken to you in 2017, Happy New Year. That's the last chance to hear it from me this year. Happy New Year. I hope you're having a, a great January. Um, January is often considered to be the most depressing month of the year. But uh, I'm sure if any group of people are going to buck that trend, surely it's going to be the people of Hope Church. Um, So I hope you're having a a good January and bringing light to the darkness in more ways than one. Um, Okay, uh, so here we are. We've we've, we've turned a new year. Here we are in January. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but... uh, uh, if, if you're involved in our, a face, the Facebook um, family page, uh, occasionally people post something on the Hope Church Facebook page, uh, just uh, all kinds of different things. But one thing um, recently took, uh, caught my eye, and it was something that John Turner, a, uh, a great uh, guy uh, and a good um, and a, and a, a kind of key member of Hope Church posted um, up on there. And it was about um, really something that he felt God had spoken to uh, him about for, for 2017. And that was this word breakthrough. And he felt that, uh, that God was telling him that 2017 was a year of breakthrough uh, for Hope Church, which got lots of people excited. I mean, that must have got like, that's got to be worth at least 30 or 40 likes, surely. <laughs> There's John over there. I've just busted John. Yeah. Um, uh, so John, John posted on, <clears throat> on the Facebook group this, this idea that breakthrough was, uh, was a, um, a, b- a big word for our family this year. And it's interesting that in our, in our wonderful little small group um, that meets in our house, uh, we, we got, kind of got to asking God this kind of question as well. What, what's, what's the thing for this year uh, for us? And it was really inspired because Michelle, one of our uh, amazing small group members, said that every year... She asks, asks God for the name of the year. So it's another way of asking really for what is the theme uh, that you're, that you're put, what's the thing that you're putting on my heart, God, uh, for this year? And so, you know, this sounded tremendously spiritual to the rest of us. And, you know, we'd obviously never, you know, even contemplated such a thought. So we took a week where we, we, we did that. We asked God what would be you know, what would be the word for, for our year? And, and, and actually, when we got to talking about it the next week, a, a similar thing um, a, emerged, this idea of breakthrough and of new things. So I wanted to, I wanted to speak a little bit uh, this morning into this idea of, of new seasons and breakthrough and, and new things. So I'm going to do so um, from Genesis chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, then you could turn to Genesis chapter 8. Uh, and while you're doing that, I think I'm going to pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here, that you are with us, and that you have things to speak to each one of us this morning. And we're all coming from different places, and we're all different, but you... Uh, know each one of us individually, and you are well able to to take what I'm about to say and make it relevant to each one of our lives. 
So Jesus, we just ask for your spirit to move among us. We welcome you here to speak to us and to change us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So uh, Genesis chapter 8 is kind of uh, the midpoint of of the flood story. Um, It's just uh, chapter 7, it rained an awful lot. uh, And in chapter 8, it it stops raining. Uh, So so we're going to pick up the story from uh, the moment where it has stopped raining. And then uh, I'll say a few things about it. Okay, so, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains, mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. We'll just pause there for a second. Uh, the first thing that I want you to notice is that Noah was following God. He was following God. He was doing exactly what God had told him to do. In fact, Noah had a good track record of doing, uh, of following God and doing exactly what he was told to do. He had years behind him of following God and doing what he was supposed to do. He was the only man, we are told uh, earlier in Genesis, who was faithful to God in his generation. And so God spoke to him uh, in, 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 the, in the wickedness of the world and said, you know, build this ark. And, and, and he had done exactly that. You know, he, he had done exactly what he had been told to do. He had built exactly what he had been told to build, and it had worked. I mean, that must have been a great feeling. You know, I mean, if, if you're anything like me, you know, when you put up a shelf in your house... And, and you find that it's able to support a book or a plant pot. That is cause for enormous celebration. It's like, it worked! <laughs> I don't believe it! Uh, and, and then maybe shortly after it stops working. But, you know, it, even that moment of euphoria where you realize, I did something and it worked. How much greater must have been uh, Noah's euphoria uh, to find that the, the ark, the blooming ark, it floats! Yes! Uh, And of course, what that meant was that both himself, his family, and the animals uh, were safe, and life was preserved uh, uh, on the earth. So he was following God, and it had gone well for him. But at this moment in the story, we find that Noah is kind of uncomfortable. I suppose, in a way, um, he, you know, the the ark, the ark is is a was a really big boat if you if you read the uh, description of it. But, but you know, in the end, there was also a lot of people and and things on the ark, and it just 
there's just a hint in the story that it's just started to become uncomfortable for him. Um, we have this, um, these lines in, in, in verse 1, but God remembered Noah, which is an interesting phrase because, of course, God doesn't forget things. Sometimes he chooses to forget things, but he doesn't, things don't slip his mind. He wasn't kind of thinking, well, you know, oh, yeah, Noah. I know what I was supposed to be doing today. Um, but but, but what it, gives it, it gives us a clue that perhaps that's how it felt for Noah. And, and sometimes we, we can be a bit like that, can't we? That we can, we can be going through a season where we feel like, you know, we're following God. And then all of a sudden, it just it feels slightly restricted. We feel maybe even slightly kind of hemmed in, slightly slightly trapped, and, and maybe even a little like, you know, God, I thought I was, I was following you, and, and now all of a sudden I'm feeling just a little bit trapped, a little bit restriction. And you see, actually, often in, in the Bible, uh, where, where God breaks through and does a new thing, and there's a sudden advance of his kingdom, just before that happens, often his people are in that kind of hemmed in, restricted, maybe even slightly trapped uh, position. And uh, some of that is to, to produce the desire in God's people for change. And so the, the great metaphor that is often used in the Bible for this is, is childbirth. And, and, you know, I obviously can't speak from first-hand experience, uh, but... But, but there is something I understand about the, the later stages of, of um, pregnancy, where the swelling and, and the tightness and the restriction become so great that there is this overwhelming desire for change, even if the change is painful and costly. And, and actually, th- that metaphor is used because that is often what God does with his people. He, he hems them in. He shuts them in somewhere in order that they would seek change. I think one of the other reasons that God does this is because in that, in that restriction, we, we go to be uncomfortable with our coping strategies. We grow to become uncomfortable with the things that used to work for us. Um, often God will, will, uh, will use something to save us and preserve us in one season, and yet in another, that same thing can become restrictive and imprisoning even. You know, God sent the Hebrew nation to Egypt to save them, to save them from a famine, and yet that same nation had to leave Egypt in order to fulfill God's purposes for them. And that is true ultimately for Noah, and it's true ultimately for us. And if this is going to be a year of season changes and it's going to be a year of breakthroughs individually and corporately, you know, we shouldn't be surprised if, we're, if some of us individually or maybe even corporately are feeling that sense of restriction, 
that sense that this isn't quite as comfortable as it used to be. In fact, you know, I'm, I, never, I didn't really want to, anything to change, but now I'm ready. Now it's grown so uncomfortable that I'm ready for change. Well, maybe, maybe the, the great example of this is where uh, Moses leads the Hebrew nation out of Egypt and, and straight into what seems like a trap, which is the Red Sea. And, and of course, there's that moment in, that, in the Exodus story where, where Moses and, and the people of God are standing on the banks of, of the Red Sea, seemingly with nowhere to go, and behind them comes the Egyptians wanting to destroy them. And there seem, they seem to be trapped, and there seems to be no way through. And of course, because we know the end of the story, and it's famous, and it's, you know, somebody has made some movies about it, we know that an amazing miracle happens. The, the sea splits in two. God's people cross. And the Egyptians are destroyed in that moment. And what seemed to be a moment of trapping, a moment of restriction, a moment of, of, of hemming in, actually becomes the moment of freedom, the moment where you really get free. God is often at work, this should tell us, most, when he appears to be at work least. In the moment of greatest pain, greatest discomfort, the moment where things seem to have gone wrong, the moment when we're trapped in and we feel like there's no way out, that is the moment where God is most at work. And the same is true in this story. In verse 1, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock were with him in the ark and made a wind to blow over the earth. Maybe just a breath at first. Maybe just a light breeze, not something that Noah would have noticed, but nevertheless, God at work. I wonder how God is at work in your life right now. Probably, I wonder how he's at work in mine. Probably in ways that we cannot even conceive of. If you're sitting there today thinking, well, actually, I... I feel almost certain that God is not at work in my life. And sometimes we can have moments like that, can't we? Where we just think, well, no, I have literally no idea what you're doing, God, but you, know, you do not appear to be involved on any level. This should give us tremendous encouragement that God is at work. And he's most at work. And he's about to do something new.
And what's interesting is that that period of restriction, as it was for Noah, um, can often be experienced as a period of drifting. I mean, he was literally drifting, wasn't he, in his ark? You know, absolutely no capacity to steer this thing. I mean, just imagine. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I've got two kids, and sometimes I'm just like, would everybody just leave me alone? You know these moments where they're kind of crawling all over you. You're just like, everybody stop what they're doing and stand against the wall. <laughs> Good grief. What must it have been like for this man? <laughs> And his poor wife in the ark. A period of restriction. But actually, it is experienced primarily as a period of drifting. And sometimes it can be like that for us too. For we feel like actually there's, you know, there was, there was a season where we had a vision. We had a purpose. We knew where we were going. We had it clearly a clear goal in mind, and our life seemed to be gathering towards a point. And yet, we don't know how it happened, but all we know is that we arrived at a point where we began to drift. And we weren't sure exactly where we were going. It can be a point where we begin to just make do. We kind of make do with what we've got, just kind of like Gideon before that other great breakthrough of God. You know, you're kind of making do with the wine press, and you know, this is pretty good hideout. This will do for me. I'll, I can survive here just fine. It's not exactly ideal, but you know, I can get by here. Or it's a place where we kind of go back to, to plan B. You know, like Peter and, and the disciples after the, the crucifixion, you know. And there was another guy literally drifting on the Sea of Galilee, back fishing, thinking, well, you know, I thought my plan was to be with Jesus, and, but now it just seems to be fish. Drifting. Making do. Plan B. God is getting ready to do something. That is what the prophetic voices in our family seem to be saying. He's getting ready to do something. With us together and with us individually. So what happens next? At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark and that he had made, and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him into the ark, for the waters were still in the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and then he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. 
So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth, and then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth. So this is an interesting little bit of the story because um, this is Noah literally testing the ground. He is literally testing the ground. He he has a strategy. He he has he thinking well you know he's he's in the ark and he's not sure, um, you know what what the state of play is outside and and he's not sure how how far the waters have abated. So what he does is he releases some birds. He thinks well you know if 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 they if they come back, then then I'll know that the the, the waters haven't receded and the, and the land hasn't appeared yet. But if they if they go away and they stay away, then I'll know that actually it's okay, there, there, there's, there's, there's dry land, I can open the ark, we can get out. And what's interesting to me is that it's okay, first of all, to test the ground in a season change. Sometimes we, we have this idea that, you know, we, we just have to boldly stride into, into new things in God and, and to do, to, to, to do anything else than that is, 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 is lacking faith. And, and, and what's interesting is that so many of the great heroes of faith seem remarkably unwilling to do exactly that. And, and actually, God seems totally okay with a period of testing. Is it okay to get out of the ark? Is it okay for me to leave this season and come into a new one? Is it, is it safe? You know, it, God, God was okay with, with, with Gideon and his fleece, and then his other fleece, and then his other fleece, if you remember that story. He's, he's happy to be tested. He's happy with the process of change. And it's interesting that that in that season change, the first bird that that Noah sends out is, is a raven. And a raven is a bird that feeds on death. It's, it's a bird that's happy to eat dead things. And that's the, that's the bird that he sends out first. You know, there was a lot of death at the flood. And he sends out the first bird, which is the bird that will feed on death and judgment. And you know, when you're in a, in a restricted place and when you're locked up, and when you're wondering what the future is, and when you're kind of wondering if God's even remembered you, sometimes that's what you send out, isn't it? That kind of 
judgment. A sense of, you know, it's not my fault and how did this and you're to blame and we send out judgment. But there is another bird to be sent out and that is the dove. And the dove is the one that comes back with the olive branch, which is the symbol of peace. There is grace for a new season. There is grace for a new time. And all of this period of testing and weighing and is it safe happens in the context of the ark coming to a place of rest, caught at the top of a mountain. For some of us here, perhaps God wants to to invite us into a season of rest where we can appropriately have this conversation with God, where we can get rid of our anger and our frustration, and we can embrace the grace and the peace for a new season in the context of rest. And then Noah comes out. What's interesting is if you read um, Genesis 8, there are very close parallels with Genesis 1. Because what is happening here is not just that the, the water is drying up, but the, the world is being recreated. And what creation and recreation looks like is actually orderliness returning to the world. In, in the ancient world, a water often meant chaos. So when the Spirit of the Lord hovers over the waters in the first few verses of the Bible, what it's saying is that the, it was chaos before God came along. And, and, and the seven days of the creation, as they're, as they're described, are about order being established from this chaos. You know, we'll have, we'll have heaven and we'll have earth, and, and then we'll have the moon and we'll have the sun and we'll have day and we'll have night and we'll have dry land and we'll have sea and we'll, we'll have, we'll have a, this kind of animal and this kind of bird and then we'll have human beings. It's about an orderliness coming to the chaos. And that's exactly what we see in this story. You can go through almost every one of these points and see an echo of it in Genesis 8, because God is reestablishing order. He is recreating the world. An orderly environment is a very important thing. A very important thing. Sometimes in, in kind of charismatic circles, we're slightly afraid of things like order. We kind of think, it's orderly. It can't be God. <laughs> you know, it's not spontaneous. You know, I, I thought about this more than three seconds ago. This can't be God. 
But actually, biblically, orderliness is, is tremendously important. Or, what actually orderliness does is it provides the conditions in which life can grow. You know, if, if, if a farmer just plowed his field every day, he's going to come to harvest time and nothing will have had the chance to grow. Yes, he needs to plow the field. He needs to stir things up a bit. But there needs to be an order to the plowing if things are going to grow. And we need orderly environments in our own lives. And we need orderliness in our community. Because that is what allows spontaneous life to happen. And God is reestablishing orderliness. And really, in the end, if you drill down and drill down into what orderliness is for God, it is this. It is love. Love creates order. Love creates order in your life, and it creates order in our community. The more loving we are towards each other, the more order we will have among us. So Noah comes out into this recreated world and he worships and he understands that God is bigger than he thought. There's something about coming through that season. I've had them in my own life where I felt restricted and hemmed in, where I've drifted and felt like I'm lost and not knowing where to go and then I've come through And I've realized this, that God was God even when I was drifting. Have you had that experience before? There's a sense in which you kind of think, God, you've forgotten where am I? You know, are you even, hello, are you listening at all? And you come through the other side and you realize he knows you that he's never forgotten about you, that even when you didn't know he was there, he was there. And even in the things where you, that you thought was total chaos and totally just, you were just kind of walking through these random events that didn't really have any meaning, he was there. And there was a purpose and there was a point. And he is bigger than he, and, and suddenly a verse like, you know, he makes all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Suddenly these verses come alive and you think, yes, you really do. That is really true. You really do make all things work together for my good. You really do know me and you really do love me. God is bigger than we think. And that's what happened. That is what we come to realize. Like, that's what the Hebrews realized when the, when, the, when the Red Sea split in two. Wow, I knew God was great, but I didn't know he was this great. You know, that's what, that's what the disciples thought when, when they saw um, Jesus resurrected. Wow, I knew God was great, but I never thought this could be possible. I, ne- I never knew. I thought it was over. I thought I was over. And yet here we are. There's life again. 
the miracle of recreation. You know, any toddler can tear down a tower. Mine regularly do. You know, it's a great... What happened to the world in Noah's day was, I suppose it was kind of miraculous, you know? The flood was kind of a miraculous act. But recreation, creation, that's a greater miracle. Judgment, well, yeah, God is judge. But he is merciful, and mercy triumphs over judgment. It is the greater miracle. It's the greater miracle in your life and in mine and for the world. God is bigger and more merciful than we can possibly imagine. We're going to discover this if this word was true about season changes. You know, as the story goes on, Noah plants a vineyard and, and then he makes a bottle of wine and, and he drinks it really quickly and, and he takes off all his clothes and it all gets messy. <laughs> it all gets messy. And what's interesting is that actually it was kind of messy before the flood and it's kind of messy after the flood. And kind of life is like that, you know? Sometimes you're going through a tough time in a season and then the season changes and it's not that you're not going to have tough times ahead, and it's not that actually everything's going to be perfect from this moment forward, and that your life's going to be totally straightforward, and everything's going to be fine. You know, it was kind of a mess before. There's going to be mess after. But God is bigger. God is bigger, and His promises are bigger. And God said to Noah after the flood, I'll never, I want you to know that I will never flood the earth again. I'm bigger, I'm bigger than the mess that human beings can create. God is bigger than your mess. He's bigger than your mistakes. There is a new season ahead for you. You know, in the end, the ark, the wooden ark, kind of should remind us of, of the kind of wooden basket that, um, that Moses' mum put him in uh, that saved a whole nation. And that, both of these things should kind of remind us of a wooden cross through which one man saved the whole world. If you were in the ark, you were safe and you were saved. And if you're in Christ, you're saved. You're safe and you're safe and you're saved. Saved. I got it out eventually. But we it's interesting today that we in worship came to this verse, which is in John seven, whoever believes in me, Jesus says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's interesting that Noah and Noah's ark contained within it all the life on the earth. All of it was in that ark. And 
And he had to get out of the ark for life to begin again and for God's purposes for recreating the whole world to be fulfilled. And God is put in you life, rivers of living water. And in order for his plan of recreation to happen on this world, that living water needs to flow. The life and the hope of the world God has put in you. As you are hidden in Jesus, so too the Holy Spirit is hidden in you. You hold within you the life of the world, the life that your friends and your family need, your life that this city needs, your life that this country needs, your life that this world, the world needs. God has put that life, these living waters within you. And it may be this year that God calls you after a season of testing, making sure it's safe. Is this the right thing? To open up the ark, to open up the place where it's it's kind of been the right thing for the season. But maybe it's time to open up and step into a new world. A world that will be messy, yes, but a world where God, you will see, is bigger than you possibly imagined. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are our our ark. You are the one that saves us and preserves us. You're the one who saved us for eternity. But you are also the one that preserves us each day. You know, you've, you've saved us um, decisively. But actually every day it seems like you save me and that you save us. And we discover a little bit more what it is to live in your salvation. And so, Father, I just pray for all of us, Lord, for that 2017 would be a year of breakthrough. It would be a year of new things. It would be a year where restrictions are broken off for things that have been appropriate for a season but who are, that are not appropriate for the new season are discarded. Lord, and I pray for the recreating work of the Spirit to blow on us and on all that we know for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the plan for this world. 
thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.